Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 47, Getting Ahead. 2.15 drew to a close, and in Rome, it was election time. The first group to vote, remember the Roman assemblies voted in blocks, picked Titus Octarchilius and Marcus Aemilius Regilius. Fabius, who was watching over the election, asked the people to think for just a moment. This was not a time of peace, it was a time of war. Regilius was already a priest of Quirinus. His job was in Rome, attending to religion to help the public that way, not out fighting in the provinces. Then, in what feels like an unnecessarily mean, but necessary speech, Fabius goes on to say Octachilius had done okay in the minor tasks the war and the people had given him so far, but this was no reason to give him the greatest task in the war. Did they really feel that either of these men was the equal of Hannibal? Octachilius protested. This wasn't a democratic thing to do. Fabius just wanted to be consul again. Fabius, in quite an open threat, reminded him that he had just arrived in the campus marshes from the field. He so he had not been in the city yet, and so the consular lictors were still carrying their axes in the fasces. The block was ordered to revote and the other centuries followed their lead. Fabius was elected consul once again, and his colleague was Marcellus. There were, of course, rules against being re-elected consul just after you'd served, but the Romans were happy to overlook the rules, given the severity of the crisis. Once the new consuls came into office, the Senate met. They voted that the consuls should decide amongst themselves who should be in Rome to watch over the elections of the censors, and who should be in the field. Next, they voted to keep everyone in command where they were. Livy conveniently gives us a list. Gracchus was in Apulia with the slave volunteers. Varro was in Picenum, and Pomponius was in Gaul. In addition, Quintus Mucius was given Sardinia, Marcus Valerius was in Brudisium to watch Philip of Macedon. Sicily was under Publius Cornelius Lentulus, while Octacilius commanded the fleet. Eighteen legions would be in the field, two for each consul, two each for Gaul, Sicily, and Sardinia. In Apulia there would be four, two slave legions under Gracchus, and two under the praetor Fabius, who was the son of Quintus Fabius Maximus, the current consul. Brundisium, Picenum had one each, and two would be stationed in Rome to protect the capital. They needed six new legions to be raised, but this was done, along with the launching of 100 new warships. This was a huge undertaking, and caused the Campanians to fear the Romans were planning to launch an assault on Capua, so they asked Hannibal for help. Things were happening so quickly that Hannibal felt the need to rush, and was very soon out of Apulia and back in his old camp at Tifata, right by Capua. 
From there, he set about taking his port. This time, he went after Puteoli, setting up his base at the lake of Avernus. Hearing that Hannibal was on the move, Fabius headed south. He ordered Gracchus to go to Beneventum, while his son, who was Praetor, was to replace him in Apulia. At the lake of Avernus, Hannibal was approached by nobles from Tarentum, the modern Taranto on the instep of Italy, former captives of his who he had released. They thanked Hannibal for his kindness and said they had convinced the young men that their best interests lay with Carthage rather than Rome. They promised if he moved his army near Tarentum, they would betray the city over to him. Hannibal told them he was very excited by their plans and promised to come right away. They should go home right away to get things ready. He really wanted to rent him. He would finally have a secure port and it would allow Philip to join him in Italy while the Romans were guarding Brundisium. So, desperate to go south and having ravaged the land of Cumae, he darted for Puteoli a town with 6,000 Romans garrisoning it. Hannibal probed the town for three days, examining every side of it and how he would get in, before finally giving up and going to ravage the land of Naples. He was immensely frustrated. He needed to be patient if he was ever going to take a companion port. I could criticise him for this, but given the patience he was able to display... Such a thing would seem out of character, and I'm sure there must be another reason. The only similar example that springs to mind are the armies of Salah al-Din fighting the Crusader states and the Third Crusade. Salah al-Din constantly moved around, rarely seriously besieging a settlement, something many historians have criticised him for, but... To Thomas Asbridge, in his brilliant book, The Crusades, he postulates that given the nature of his forces, the newness of his position, and the length of the campaign, that he needed quick victories, and to be constantly moving to keep his army together. He could not afford to get bogged down in a siege, as it would ultimately harm his army. Hannibal too had an army with many different groups within it, and victories were what would keep them together. I warn you that this is just me thinking, but it seems a fair comparison and a good reason for Hannibal to act the way he did, even though it did not produce success in the form of a captured companion port. At this point, the citizens of Nola offered the town to Hannibal once again, but Marcellus was made aware of the plot before Hannibal could get there, and he reinforced the senatorial party, leaving Hannibal bitter and less trusting of the Nolans. By this point, Gracchus had finally arrived at Beneventum from Apulia, and at that exact moment, Hanno moved north from Brutium, and was camped three miles away, devastating the countryside. So... Gracchus marched his troops out and readied them for battle. His slave legions had been fighting excellently, but he was worried about their grumbling. The troops muttered darkly 
about whether they would ever be free. So Gracchus wrote to the Senate, saying that they should do something. The Senate wrote back that he should do whatever he felt was best for the common good. So Gracchus spoke to them, and announced that they would fight the Carthaginians the next day on an open field, so there would be no opportunity for traps. Their ability would be the deciding factor. He then said famously that every man who brought him an enemy's head would receive his freedom from the consuls and the senate. The troops were ecstatic, and spent the rest of the day eagerly preparing and double-checking their equipment. The next day, the two legions marched out against the 18,000-strong force, mostly Brutians and Lucanians, so the forces were about even. As with many battles in this war, and the ancient world as a whole in fact, it was a long, hard slog, or a meat-grinder battle, as I like to call them. It raged on for four hours, before the problem was reported by the military tribunes to Gracchus. The men were so eager to be free, that as soon as they killed a Carthaginian, they decapitated them, and used one of their arms to carry around the head, rather than something which wouldn't earn their freedom, like a sword. This was a huge problem. Gracchus ordered them to drop the blasted heads. They had won their freedom, they had proven their valour already. Gracchus sent in his cavalry, and met the exact same trouble as the infantry, a long hard slog. Gracchus taunted the Brutians and Lucanians about how the Romans had beaten them so often, while Hanno taunted the Romans about their slave status. Surprisingly enough, name-calling was not enough to swing the balance of power their way. Gracchus issued one more proclamation. To win their freedom, they would have to completely beat the Carthaginians. This was enough. Latin battle cries rang out across the field, and the legions pressed on furiously, determined that they would win their freedom. The Carthaginians were shattered and finally broke. The Romans chased them back to the Carthaginian camp, where the prisoners of war joined in the fracas. It was a complete disaster for Hanno, as only 2,000 escaped alive, while only 2,000 were lost by Gracchus. The troops received almost all of the spoils. The only exemptions were prisoners and cattle which owners could identify within 30 days. A group of 4,000 volunteers who had not pulled their weight fled to a nearby hill, fearing what would happen to them, until the military tribunes were able to talk them down the next morning. Gracchus began by rewarding those who had fought most fiercely and the veterans, before finally talking to the slave volunteers, of whom a good portion were terrified. Gracchus said he didn't want to punish any of them. Today was a day to be celebrated. True to his word, they would all be freed. They cheered, praising Rome and their general. Then Gracchus stepped in. He would not stop them becoming citizens, 
but it would be unfair to the brave troops for there to be no punishment at all. All the men who had left the camp and had not fought hard enough in battle through cowardice were to be reported to him, and as long as they remained soldiers were to stand while they ate their meals. It was a reasonable punishment, and the men returned to Beneventum in a party atmosphere, and there was a huge public feast. The Romans certainly knew how to have a good time. Gracchus himself commissioned a painting of the event, which he hung in the Temple of Liberty, in Rome, on the Aventine Hill, a temple his father had built. While all this was going on to the east, Hannibal moved to Nola from Naples, and Marcellus planned to attack him. He sent Gaius Claudius Nero around the back of Hannibal, and he was to block the enemy's route of retreat. They would have Hannibal surrounded, and could finally deliver a crushing victory. Marcellus's part of the plan worked fine. His troops had the better of Hannibal, but he couldn't really do much with it, because, for some reason, Nero never arrived. Livy suggests that perhaps he got lost, or didn't have enough time to get there. Either way, Marcellus didn't feel comfortable pressing his advantage, and pulled back once Hannibal began to retreat. Nero was scolded by Marcellus when he got back to the camp. Marcellus said that perhaps they could have finally achieved vengeance for Canai. Still, it was a successful battle. Only 400 Romans had died, while 2,000 of the Carthaginians had. Marcellus offered battle again the next day, but Hannibal stayed in his camp, licking his wounds. The next day, he gave up at taking Nola, and decided to go south and tried to take Tarentum. As Hannibal marched, the newly appointed censors were getting down to business in Rome. Normally, one of the most important jobs of the censors was to build public works, the famous road to Campania and the south of Italy, the Via Appia, was constructed during the censorship of an Appius Claudius, while the road to the north and the Po Valley, the Via Flaminia, was constructed by our old friend, Gaius Flaminius, he who was defeated at Lake Trasimene during his censorship. This year's censors had other things to do, mostly because there was no money in the treasury, and so they couldn't afford to build anything. Instead, they set about religious matters, and to punish bad eggs within the Republic. The two most notable cases of this were the men who, after Canai, considered abandoning Italy, such as the then quaestor Lucius Caecilius Metellus, and the men who had been captured by Hannibal and returned to Rome to make a deal, and promised that they would return. To get out of this, you'll recall, they pretended to have forgotten something, and so went back to Hannibal, technically fulfilling their oath, and then went to Rome and had to be forced back. Another group were those who had been eligible to serve in the army, but hadn't. These were expelled from their tribes and reduced in social class. On top of this, 
the Senate issued a punishment, sending them all to Sicily to serve with the Canali survivors, and would not be allowed to return home until the enemy had been expelled from Italy. Efforts were also made to save money, a loss of IOUs were issued, and the wealthier troops, the centurions and the cavalrymen, refused pay. If any of their number did accept the pay, his colleagues labelled him a mercenary. Fabius, meanwhile, was assaulting Castellinum, which was taking up most of his force, and he asked Marcellus if he could leave a force behind in Nola to try and help him with these campaigns. Marcellus did just that, and both consuls besieged Castellinum. As quick results didn't come, Fabius argued they should leave, while Marcellus wanted to stay. It would greatly harm their reputation to admit a failure. Some companions left the town to ask Fabius for passage to Capua, but Marcellus spotted them and attacked. He spotted the gate they were leaving from and managed to take the town. Marcellus returned to Nola, suffering with ill health. Fabius moved on to Samnium and captured a number of towns, who had defected, killing 25,000. While in Lucania, Hanno managed to get some revenge on a Roman garrison, whom Gracchus had ordered out on a raid. If you like the show, why not support it? There is an ebook version of the Alexander series available on Amazon Kindle for only £1.99 in the UK or $2.99 in the US. I won't list the price for all Amazon Kindle stores, but the odds are most likely that you will be able to buy it. Or you could also check out the history of podcast.spreadshirt.co.uk and buy a t-shirt. Maybe something with the podcast logo on, or maybe keep calm and raise more legions, which is probably the most popular one. Either way, thank you for your support. I really appreciate it. I'll see you next week when we follow Hannibal South to Tarentum. <laughs> <laughs>